The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hello, everyone. Spring has sprung out here in the desert. The wildflowers are blooming. The animals are taking their after pictures and calling each other out on Instagram for not being natty. The first biceps of the year are peeking out from their sleeves. It's all about the cycles of life at bodybuilding.com. I'm Nick Colius, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, we've had an interesting run of guests of late, if you haven't heard. There was Chris Geffen talking about his epic foray into triathlon training. Uh, John Russon, a, a, a great strength coach last week, talking about squats and how to improve yours. We had the Buff Dudes talking about how to force feed Klondike bars to bulk. And you can go to our archives on your podcast thingy of your choice to listen to any of those. But in the meantime, we have some new developments here as well in the studio. Chrissy Kendall, our beloved science chick, has departed for Australia. And in her old seat, we have the new uh, podcast co-host and Bodybuilding.com's newest editor, Heather Eastman. Hello, Heather. Hello. Um, Now, you've only been here for a couple of weeks, but already have a few bylines. There was one about the rock's butt. That yes, really that was a really fun one. <laughs> why, why, the, why his butt should be the, the you know uh, should be the example for your butt. Why the butt should be the priority on leg day. That we like glutes and glutes are the new pecs. We, we've yeah, talked glutes about and the new pecs definitely. <laughs> uh, but aside from that, aside from that, you're not exactly you're not exactly new to the fit life, right? You've been a no. physique competitor, judge, coach, trainer for a million years. All of the above, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your fitness origin story, as it were. Oh my goodness. Well, it's um it's not as glamorous as you might think I was finishing my degree at UCLA and I kind of wandered into a group X room and said, mm-hmm. you know, I'll try this out. And you'd never at, exercised a single bit oh, in your whole oh, life up to that point. I mean, point. I was in high school. I was that girl that was doing three sports at once. Uh-huh. I, I started running cross country to stay in shape for soccer because I was also doing volleyball the same time as soccer practice. So I need something to keep my conditioning up. And then I really loved running. So I kept running and started winning state championships. And it sounds high yeah. energy. So you sound like a high energy. I, I don't know if you can tell by my general pace of speaking, but I am a very high energy Okay. kind of girl. Anyways, so I walked into my first class on the UCLA campus and loved it. And at the end of the class, they said, hey, we have this program that we're offering through the university to anyone who wants to become either a group exercise leader or a personal trainer. It's a nine-month course, and we're going to take you through workshops and show you how to perform exercises, how to coach others, and kind of take you through every step of the process. And at the end, you get to sign up for the national certification exam, and it was the NSCA strength and conditioning exam. Okay. And you become a certified trainer. One of the the good ones, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, not to brag, but... Um, And I, of course, couldn't decide which one I wanted to do. So I did both, which meant instead of two nights a week, I was doing four nights a week in addition to my full class load my senior year. You know, it should be party time. But here I am studying my butt off, learning about squats, learning about exercise technique, learning about posture and Basically, what happened is I fell in love with it and just decided that rather than continue on and become, you know, a teacher, which would have made my parents happy, hi, mom and dad, (laughs) um, I decided that I wanted to be a personal trainer and to really 
focus on fitness. Mm -hmm. And I think the change for me was I watched my grandmother who lived to be 93 years old, I watched her deteriorate and it had nothing to do with her mental fitness. It had to do with her physical fitness. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, if more people put time and energy into exercising, we could all kind of stay young and fit longer. Mm -hmm. And it, it just was a really striking example in my life of how important fitness is and how important exercising sure. is. And hmm. I wanted to share that with the world. Okay. So, but that's, that's why you're in school. You know, once you're out of school, everything changes. So who, when you found yourself in a gym or, you know, actually out there coaching for the first time, who did you imagine yourself working with and who did you actually end up working with? Because there's often an interesting uh, conflict <laughs> yes. there. Um, um, you know, you have this textbook and everyone in the textbook has perfect posture and perfect form. Right. And I remember my first few months as an actual trainer, I was horrified by what I was seeing in the everyday kind of average person. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that when I say horrified is they did not have perfect posture and they did not move correctly. And so all of a sudden you have to completely throw out everything you know and start working with real people mm -hmm. who have real postural deviations, real strengths and weaknesses. And it really forces you to work kind of you know, be on your toes and work with people and throw out the textbook and throw right. out the rule book and just kind of say, okay, what does this person needs? And the one thing I say about <clears throat> personal training is it's in the name. It's personal. It's not a one-size-fits-all program. It's catered to each individual need. Now, once someone has kind of been to me and gone through the logistics of how to move, how to squat, how to lunge, all of those things, then it gets pretty easy and, and the mm -hmm. cadence picks up. But those first few sessions are really critical. So I urge any new exerciser to at least go and see a personal trainer for a couple of sessions just so you can get familiar with how your body is mm -hmm. moving and what you need to correct. No, that's interesting. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And, I, and I've, I've um, recommended that to other people as well. Even, even if you're going to follow a program right out of a book, even if you saw something online and you think, I want to do this, a little bit of personalized perspective, even in just figuring out what your biggest weaknesses are can help. I oh, imagine, absolutely. Right? Yeah, we're, so, we're yeah. all different. And right, trust right. me, even though I've been doing this for 12 years, I don't even move correctly all of the time. Mm -hmm. So I still have people kind of pointing out to me, your back's arching. It's like, right. Mm. Do, you, do you find, though, that it's still really easy to go down that... Uh, that slippery path into what John Russell called last week, um, corrective purgatory, where you're just stuck in <laughs> corrective exercises forever. Cause that seems like that's what you see a lot of people just sort of, you know, sleepwalking through these epic warmups that you can tell they just hate. Um, I don't call myself a corrective exercise specialist because mm -hmm. it is a, a, a rabbit hole, if you will, something that you can just fall down and get lost in. I know that no one's ever going to move perfectly, and my job is not to sit there and try to get them to be perfect. My job is to do what I can to make sure that they're getting the most out of their workout. Mm -hmm. And other people might disagree with me, and that's totally fine. That's just my my viewpoint. Mm -hmm. I think that there's so much more to be gained from doing an exercise 80% correctly versus trying to get 100% correct form every single time. And, you know, I think that even if you are a little bit off, just the fact that you're moving, you're burning calories, you're having fun, you're enjoying yourself, that's really the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Okay, 80%. I think that's a, that's a good benchmark to aim for, right? <laughs> yeah, we as can, long as you're 80%, you're right. good. Eight, so 80% would be, what, y you're safe, you can lift kind of heavy-ish mm -hmm. for at least... 
10 reps or so and things aren't springing all over the place. There aren't, there aren't parts right. falling out of the bottom of you as you're walking around the gym. <laughs> right. And I will, I'm going to go ahead and say there are a couple of exercises where I tell my clients, I'm going to be on your butt about this exercise. If you're not doing it the way I want you to do it, we're just not going to do it. And particularly- Curls. The, it's, it's curls. <laughs> curls. Um, <laughs> it's the deadlift. The deadlift uh, is my number one. Like We sit down, everything comes to a screeching halt that first time we do it. And I say, look, we're going to start with a PVC pipe before we go anywhere else because I need to just see how you move. There's so much that can go wrong at a deadlift. And yet, there's so much that can go right. It's such a great posterior chain exercise and one that is really easy to screw up. And yet, you know, everybody does it every day. You pick things off the ground every single day. So knowing how to do it properly is so, so important. Every human should be able to squat and deadlift, bottom line. Mm -hmm. So so somebody who maybe has had some feedback in the past um, but doesn't go to a, a coach anymore, doesn't go to a trainer anymore, is it still worth it for them to get an extra set of eyes on their deadlift, to video? Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think the path the best well, route is for somebody who just still wants to be accountable on that sort of thing? Because we all are flawed in those. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think um, the number one thing I tell people is there are mirrors in the gym for a reason, and that reason is not to admire your biceps. Mm -hmm. Those mirrors are there so you can check your form. Now, the deadlift is tricky because you're trying to look at yourself sideways through the mirror or you're facing the mirror when you're doing a deadlift so you can't see what your back is doing. But definitely having an extra pair of eyes, filming yourself, mm -hmm. all those things are really great. Like I said, the example I gave, I don't always deadlift correctly because I have a little bit more of a, a suede back mm -hmm. than most. And so I need to be really careful. And just having an extra set of eyes on the on me at the gym when I'm lifting heavy is incredibly valuable. And mm. I would definitely recommend that. So could that set of eyes just be like YouTube commenters potentially? Like you put your PR up there and they, they tell you when it's wrong? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, <laughs> you start getting into comments and there's, don't get into the comments. there's some comments that are here. more valid than others. And, and I would say just take every comment with a grain of salt but <laughs> that's very diplomatic of you obviously you're new around here <laughs> so so um let, let's let's move forward in your in your progression a little bit when did it go from i don't just need to teach this but you know what i kind of want to i kind of want to compete too because you have oh competed goodness. at least at least once right a few times i've, I've competed four times mm -hmm. um i would say as a young 20 something year old trainer working in a big box gym um who this logo we all know and well, well, it's the guy with the barbell. Mm -hmm. Oh, that guy. Yeah, sure. that guy. But anyways, so working in a big box gym and you're there with a bunch of other trainers that are all young and in their 20s and they work out all the time and they're ripped and everybody's excited. And it's part of the culture. You know, mm -hmm. pretty soon somebody asks you, hey, have you ever thought about competing? And usually you say no because you've never heard of it before. Um, you know what bodybuilding is, but you always think, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, I right. could never do something like that. And and once people around me started competing and once I saw a couple of shows, I was like, yeah, that, that looks like something I might want to really? try. Watching their prep didn't just terrify you? No, <laughs> no. Um, the food doesn't ever scare me. It's the lifting weights. That's my dirty little secret is I'm not a big fan of lifting weights, uh -huh. but I know how important it is to get resistance training uh, okay. into your uh -huh. program. Um, so I kind of started slow. I did a couple of local shows. And then my last big show that I did was down in Los Angeles. And I think that... Once I got to a level where I was starting to compete with people who were, you know, very competitive on a state and national level, and here I was just this little girl from Boise, Idaho, total fish out of water, right. I think that's when I was like, okay, I don't know if I want to commit 
100% of my attention to training myself. But what I took from that and what I then kind of the next progression in my career is I started coaching athletes to compete. So instead of being the actual competitor, I became their coach. And really that grew out of my nitpicky nature. I hated going to competitions and seeing people pose incorrectly. It just drove me nuts because why would you spend 12 weeks, six months, a year getting ready for this show and then you walk up on stage and look like you have no idea what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That just, I couldn't handle that. Mm. So I started out as a posing coach and then competitors would come to me for posing and then as soon as we were done posing, they'd say, well, can you help me with my diet? Or can you recommend an exercise for this? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, do you mind if you just give me a few pointers on that? So that's how that kind of progressed into a full-on competition prep coach. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to shows, you're helping your competitors, people keep seeing you over and over and over again, the next natural progression was, hey, would you mind helping us judge these shows? Mm-hmm. And the way that um, the way that I had to become a judge is I had to go through three rounds of what they call kind of practice judging, where you're at the show, you're writing down your scores, but they don't count towards the show. You're just, they're using that to kind of see if you know, you're seeing the same thing that the other judges are seeing, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, and you're taking notes as well. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. taking notes. They just want to see if like, if your eye matches what everyone else is seeing. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was, gosh, I think that was four or five years ago that I started doing that. And we just had a show here recently and sure enough, the promoter calls me up and mm-hmm. says, Hey, we need one more judge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are sure. you free? It's interesting hearing you talking about posing because um, we hear people talking about the big national shows, sort of bemoaning that posing isn't the art form that it once was. And there are people in every gym who are probably preparing to compete, but you don't see them doing a lot of posing practice. It's it's fairly rare. Maybe they're hiding in the back room in the yoga room, you see it or something like that. What's, what, what is going wrong with people's posing? And is the solution just like practice more and don't be ashamed of yourself? You know, it's kind of the same thing that goes wrong with people exercising is that they're so in their own little world and in their own little way that they move that they don't even realize that, you know, you've got one elbow that's wonky and it's making your whole back fall flat. And if you just had an extra set of eyes and even more than that, an experienced set of eyes looking at you, it's not that hard to get the average competitor to really perfect their posing and really show off their body. And posing, believe it or not, is a criteria that we're judging on. You can't just go out and stand on stage and say, judge me. You have to hit the correct poses. And the reason is it gives us as judges a kind of uniform, um, a uniform sample to look at. You know, if everyone's standing slightly differently, how can we compare and contrast body types? So we try to put people in uniform posing, and that way we can really look at their musculature, look at their symmetry, look at how conditioned they are, and it it doesn't make our job harder. It makes our job easier when everyone poses correctly. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, and I, I like I like you uh, pointing out that that wonky elbow because, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe people don't even realize that they don't have control as much as they think over certain muscle groups, but posing is, I imagine, when that really comes out, like all of a sudden, yeah, you think you're flaring your lat, you're not flaring shit. Huh, that, <laughs> exactly. That's interesting. Do you, do you find, though, that as people practice that more and get better at posing, that it actually helps them develop their physiques as well? Because some pros swear by posing as a component of exercise. Oh, absolutely. I actually tell my girls to pose in between their sets because mm-hmm. it's a good way to kind of see if you got that muscle. You know, you already got that pump going, so you mm-hmm. can kind of 
I'm, I'm sitting here posing as I'm talking about this. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Right. But um, <laughs> this is the one podcast you can do that on. <laughs> um, no, you can you can kind of pump up and flare out your lats and flare out your shoulders and and see, you know, okay, mm-hmm. this is what I'm going to look like. And it really lets you feel that muscle. And there is such a thing as a mind body connection with your muscles. So you know, you can do a lat pull down incorrectly and never ever touch your lats for years. You know, mm-hmm. and then once you learn how to flare your lats out when you're posing, there, go do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you learn how to flare your lats out, it will absolutely change your pull-up form, your lat pull-down form, because now you know where that muscle is. You know how to kind of throw it out there and mm-hmm. pull it back. Like I always joke, I have secret wings that nobody knows about because I don't pose my lats in my everyday life. But mm-hmm. if you ask me, I can pop out an extra three inches of lats that you had no idea was there. <laughs> three three inches, <laughs> an extra three inches of lats. Yeah. That's a wing. <laughs> okay, so, so this is something we've discussed with a number of other guests on our show, but what role do you feel like competition serves in the progression of somebody's fitness life? You know, like it's kind of who needs it and who doesn't. I, I remember uh, Lise DeLeon is a really well-known fitness model who we had on. She has millions of followers, but we asked her, do you ever think about competing? No. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't, that's not for me. But then Evan Centipani, who's an elite pro bodybuilder, he just, he loves the dirty, nasty prep, the suffering. It's just wired into him. So what, what is it for you and what is it for, where does it fit in the progression of somebody's arc? Oh, gosh, I think you just hit on the two kind of top types of people that g- gravitate towards the sport. Um, as someone who used to be a distance runner, mm-hmm. I was intrigued by the uh, the endurance of it. You know, it's it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. You're n- it's not something that you just wake up one day, you know, throw on a tan and a suit and go stand on stage. You have to really prepare for it. You have to really drill it, you know, drill every single day. You're working out, you're eating right, you're getting enough sleep. And I liked that about it. Um, so for me, it was just a challenge of can I stick with this for six months? Can I get myself on stage? And then I, um, I personally love public speaking and love being on stage. I don't know if you can tell, (laughs) but so for me, it was a way to get back on stage and a way to kind of perform and show off all the hard work and the fact that I was a trainer and I knew what I was doing and, and, you know, people could see me and say, oh, I want to go see her. Look at, you know, look at her. And then there's the other side of that, which is I know some people who are just the quietest, most reserved people you've ever met, and they compete because it is so uncomfortable for them and because it is such a challenge to just get up get up there in front of people, mm-hmm. let alone the fact that you're you know, 90% naked because right. your suit's the size of a postage stamp, but they want to get out there and, and show off what they've done and how hard they've worked. And I think that's that's kind of the root of everyone's journey when it comes to bodybuilding is it's a chance to really show what you've done and really step up and be something that people can admire. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it might sound like people are kind of being shallow by looking at or judging bodies, but it's really all about the hard work that goes in prior to that moment on stage, Mm -hmm. the months and months of training and work. And you can really see that on stage. You can see who did their work and who didn't. Mm -hmm. And And maybe even who kind of enjoys that part of it. You sound excited talking about it, (laughs) but other people kind of, I've I've talked to people who look back on it with kind of a dread in their voice, like, oh God, I did it one time, I'll never do it again. (laughs) So so maybe, yeah, if if you're trying to talk yourself into it, then maybe from the the get-go, then maybe it's not for you. It sounds like it kind of has to make sense. It there's definitely, you know, I talk about it and I smile because it's a it's a 
dirty, kind of weird, you know, gritty world. I mean, when you're a bodybuilder, you get to a point where you don't care. You're eating chicken with your fingers because you just have to get that next meal in before, mm-hmm. you know, you only have four minutes to eat before you have to go do your next thing. And, and you know, you're by the time you're on stage, you're exhausted, you're dehydrated, you're covered in this goopy tan that just gets on everything you touch. And it sounds like the most miserable sport in the world, but it's also the best you've ever looked or felt. Mm-hmm. And you've worked so hard. It's, you know, I have run marathons and that 26th mile versus stepping on stage, stepping on stage is a much, much higher endorphin rush. I mean, you are, your knees are shaking, but you're having to hold a pose and you're smiling and your, your muscles are pumped up, but you just want to go and eat a donut backstage. And you're just trying to kind of focus on everything and, you know, running yeah, not to take away from that. That's amazing too, but it feels like you can just kind of push yourself through that. But with bodybuilding, everything has to come together in this perfect moment Mm. or it's all for nothing. Wow, that's that's pretty. It sounds pretty intense. Uh, so, now, how, how different did you find the training was, though, and how different should the training be for somebody who's preparing for a show? If somebody's, yeah, they've been training hard for a long time. They, you know, maybe have done bodybuild bodybuilder style splits before. They they've accumulated a fair amount of volume. Is the training that goes into prep, if it's done right, still really different from what you know the workouts we see on a site like ours? Absolutely. I, I mean, I know guys that work out like a bodybuilder year round, but they don't, they're not bodybuilders. Um, I would say the most, the, the biggest difference is it's an all in sport. And what I mean by that is, you know, you might like going and working out of the gym five or six days a week and just kind of doing whatever. But with bodybuilding, it's no longer a choice. It's a, you have to go to the gym five or six days a week. You have to get that workout in. You have to hit every muscle group. You have to push hard. You have to try to put more weight on that bar, go Mm. for that extra rep, go for that extra set. You have to push yourself to run that extra mile. You have to eat right. You don't get to just go to a barbecue and pig out on whatever. You have to follow every single thing as closely as possible because when you get on that stage, you wanna be able to tell yourself you did everything you could to get ready. Mm -hmm. And if you get up there and you know that, oh, you you know, I had cheat meals every single week, I skipped several workouts, you know, you're going to kick yourself because you didn't do everything you could. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, uh, you had a great article recently. It was one of your first ones for the site called Three Questions You Should Ask Yourself Before You Compete, Before You Decide to Compete. And uh, what you were just talking about is definitely one of them. Can you go all in? And (laughs) it's, yeah, it sounds like that that really has, it's kind of about how you feel at the end. Do you feel a little bit of regret or do you feel like you threw yourself entirely Mm -hmm. into the journey? Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I stopped competing is I did go so all in to the point where it started taking away from my life. And Mm -hmm. some people love to live that life 100% of the time. I'm not one of them. I've got Mm -hmm. 500 other things I'm interested in doing. And so that was just one thing. But as you can see, I'm still very passionate about it. I love the sport. Mm -hmm. And I put that question there because I think that people need to realize this is not just something that's for, like I said, the guy that likes to work out. You know, Mm -hmm. he can definitely try it, but it's definitely you need to go all in. Like you can't half-ass it if you want to be a bodybuilder. You have to give it 100% effort or don't do it. Right. But even if you do give it 100%, the, the third question is, <laughs> are you prepared to lose? Because you may be, you may have given absolutely everything you can and 
still just not even get close mm-hmm. to the victory, right? Right. Well, it's interesting. I think that bodybuilding is a unique sport in that everyone gets into it thinking they're going to win. And they go at it thinking, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. And that's what, you know, that's what keeps them at the gym late at night. And that's what keeps them eating the the broccoli and the sweet potatoes and the chicken. And you got to realize that there's only one winner that day. And it's probably only two to three percent of people who do bodybuilding shows do well mm. at them. Um, As a always... the marathoner, you, you don't expect to win. Like the, right, the winner yeah. is somebody entirely different. But this, the bodybuilder kind of does think, yeah. they, think they're going to win. Yeah. I think the novice enters in thinking they're going to win and then they're incredibly disappointed. And mm. I always point out, well, what what did you think was going to happen? This is mm. your first time doing this. You and like you I'm said, I'm one of the all time greats, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you don't go out and run a marathon expecting to win. You just go out expecting to finish the race. Right. If you're lucky and mm-hmm. bodybuilding's the exact same. You're just trying to get on stage. Come hell or high water, you just want to get on stage and look your best and that's it. Mm-hmm. Do you need to go through a, a lot of soul searching for this sort of thing or I mean it could because it's it's just a casual competition or it can be, right? Even if you, even if you do all the pre- the preparation, does it have to be an incredible incredibly meaningful heavy thing in your life? Not at all. I think that I've, I've been toying with the idea of getting back on stage. And I think that now where I'm at in my life, I'm in my 30s now. And to me, it would be something to do for fun. I wouldn't mm-hmm. put so much because when you're young and you're still figuring out who you are and you kind of you you just you want to be the best. And, and now I think I'd want to be the best version of me, but mm-hmm. I really wouldn't necessarily care you say that now <laughs> when you set up set, set foot on stage and you lose to some 23 year old. It's going to eat you up. <laughs> I, right. No, I know. I know what I can look like. And I know I know looking back what I could have done better. And I think uh-huh. that's the only reason that would that I would get on stage again is to see if I could beat my previous self not everyone else but I would want to compete against myself again and hmm. see if I could do better from what I did seven years ago well we won't we won't push you to do that but if you do decide <laughs> to do that we will uh, force you to document every step of the way how about oh, that good. <laughs> <laughs> well Heather Eastman thank you so much for coming by uh, we look forward to grilling you on future episodes here or rather I should say I look forward to grilling you on future episodes here as well everyone if you want to read her stuff come to bodybuilding.com and we'll link to her author page and the article we mentioned below see you all next time bye everybody bye everybody